welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Andy Murphy. A new Native restaurant opens in Albuquerque with a healthy take on some favorite Southwest Native dishes like hummus enchiladas, Indian tacos, and tamales. That's one item on the menu, which is a regular feature on Indigenous food news. We'll visit with this year's National Indian Taco Champion and talk about the indigenous origins of chocolate and the recent announcement by a prominent food sovereignty scholar and advocate about her Native identity. Join us after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Navajo Nation President Jonathan Nez has issued an executive order to investigate cases of missing people in a way that's more empathetic to victims and families. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, it's part of a federal multi-state initiative to address a crisis gripping Indian country. Nez and other tribal leaders met with FBI officials and prosecutors from Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah for the planned signing ceremony. According to officials, the guidelines are part of a response plan both to find missing people and to help victims and families heal. They hope it'll serve as a template for the Navajo Nation to share data across local, state, and federal jurisdictions and collaborate on cases involving missing and murdered indigenous people. Nez says his order is designed to set a tone of hope and pioneer a new era of cooperation operation between the tribe, U.S. Attorney's Office, and the FBI. For years, records of missing Native Americans have been incomplete or outdated. In July, the FBI's Albuquerque office launched a project to create a more dynamic and comprehensive list of missing people on the Navajo Nation. As of October 11th, it included 192 names. The Navajo Nation plan is among the first of 11 pilot programs begun in Indian Country through the U.S. Attorney General's Missing and Murdered Indigenous Persons Initiative. The more more than 27,000 square mile Navajo Nation spans parts of northern Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. The Association of Tribal Archives, Libraries, and Museums ended its conference Thursday with the largest attendance of more than 1,200 participants in Temecula, California, as Rhonda Lavaldo reports. The theme of ATALM was intertwined cultures stronger together, and many attendees agreed. Gina Pion, Spokane tribe and archivist with the Northwest Indian Fisheries Commission, says this conference helps tribal nations with the storytelling aspect unique to them. I just think that it's important for each tribe to be able to tell their own story and that, you know, there just hasn't been a good forum for people to come together and tell that, you know, in a collective way. So as more money becomes available, funding, and you get more expertise because you have more uh, tribal members that are pursuing either education or experiences that deal with cultural preservation, exhibits, all of those things, and storytelling. So I think everybody just really wants to assert their own stories. Rick West, ATALM Board of Governors, say they always want to highlight the work of Native people and the conference was successful in getting attendees to share their ideas. I want ATOM always to be a generator in making our voice heard, telling our own stories, etc., keeping those stories, having them speak both to the past and probably even as important to the future. That's what, that's what I want. And I want ATOM to be always identified 
with accomplishing those kinds of objectives. ATALM 2023 will be held in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma next year. This is Rhonda Lavaldo for National Native News. Tribal leaders in California will discuss challenges in their repatriation efforts at an informational hearing at the state legislature next week before the Assembly Select Committee on Native American Affairs. Leaders are also expected to provide input about a proposed council under the oversight of the California Natural Resources Agency. The council will evaluate projects and the distribution of $70 million to increase tribal access and co-management of public lands and recommendations for returning tribal ancestral land. The hearing will take place Thursday in Sacramento. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. November is National Epilepsy Awareness Month. Did you know one in 26 people will develop epilepsy during their lifetime? Call 1-800-332-1000 to learn more. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is the menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on indigenous food and food sovereignty. I'm Andy Murphy. Well, it looks like trick-or-treating and Halloween outings are back on this year. How many mini chocolate candies have you eaten so far? Later in this hour, we'll explore the indigenous origins of chocolate and learn about chocolate's place in indigenous culture. We also have on this year's National Indian Taco Champion, Moni Horse Chief. Her tacos are no joke. This is her eighth first place prize. We'll also talk with a reporter about Elizabeth Hoover. She is a professor and expert on the topic of indigenous food sovereignty, and she recently released a statement this week saying she has no official connections to the native heritage she claimed to have for decades and built a career on. But first, a tasting. Italiti Plant-Based Foods is a native cafe in Albuquerque that just opened this month. I'll bring in Tina Archuleta, the founder and owner, in just a bit, but I'd like to invite you to join our conversation as well. What native foods or food programs are you excited about? Call 1-800-996-2848. Of course, that's 1-800-99-NATIVE. So let's bring in Tina Archuleta. She's uh, here in Albuquerque. Uh, like I said, the founder and owner of Italiti Plant-Based Foods. She's Hamas Pueblo. Welcome to the menu, Tina. Thank you for having me, Andy. I'm really happy to be here. 
of course, of course. Uh, I was able to get a taste of um, a, a bunch of the menu items that are at Itality right now. And I have to say, like, really hats off. Very, very delicious. I mean, um, you know, healthier versions of foods, you know, don't really often turn out so well. But I think you've got it down there at Itality. Um, you know, first question here, what, what are some of the menu items on uh, uh, the menu there at Itality? We have a full plant-based menu that includes uh, an Indian taco that's made with blue corn fry bread, um, comes with an avocado on the side, <laughs> and we have an enchilada plate, tamale plate, um, various smoothies, fresh cold-pressed juices, and um, some pies. We're going to have a breakfast menu coming within the next few weeks that we're excited about. And yeah, mainly the men menu was created out of my love for my my food, my cultural food from Jemez Pueblo. Mm -hmm. And it was, how do I create this food plant-based for myself, the food I love? And so oh, it, just, it was years and years of just developing, but the techniques were ar already there. Um, so that's why I, I think it may come across so good and so loved. <laughs> <laughs> so I think people can taste that. So thank you for saying all that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I've been following your uh, culinary career for a while now. And, you know, I first met you in Hamas when, uh, you know, you were putting fresh foods into the local uh, convenience store, just kind of making, creating that option for uh, fresh and healthy plant-based foods. And and now you have your own restaurant. Like, how, how, how do you feel right now? Kind of, you know, taking that whole journey from um, you know, for, from Hamas to, you know, doing a couple of, you know, like catering events and stuff like that to what it is now, like a little cafe, a, a, a restaurant, a brick and mortar restaurant in Albuquerque. Right. It's pretty amazing. It's pretty surreal, but it's also very real because it's something that I've been manifesting for years and years, mm. over a decade of envisioning, dreaming, working towards this end goal. So it's just amazing to be in a space that was dreamed of for so long. And I remember standing with you at Red Rocks across the gas station and mm -hmm. showing you my grab-and-go food. And and here we are. That was in 2018. Mm -hmm. And just over the past years, just developing. And it also, um, I, can, I can say that it's also because of community. It was the need that I saw in community and the community support and want for what I had to offer. So I, Italicy wouldn't be anything if, if the community wasn't as receptive as they are and, um, and ready for this. Right. So I, yeah. So I'm thankful and I'm thankful that everything lined up for me to have this opportunity. You know, my, my business now, the brick and mortar, is located on land owned by the 19 Pueblos. So all taxes go back into the 19 Pueblos. Mm -hmm. um, so that in itself is just a huge um, accomplishment for me in making a difference in tribal communities and in, in the advancement for tribal sovereignty and tribal food sovereignty. So, um, you know, I'm having, I get food from native farmers, Native food, native recipes, native chefs, 
native tax code, native landlord. Mm. And it's just, it's just so amazing. Right. So amazing. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, this, this place that um, Itality is at, there's a couple of um, empty spots and it, it seems like it's um, going to boom pretty soon. There's going to, I think I heard that they're going to have a lot of other um, uh, native businesses there. And um, it's cool that you were able to uh, grab a space there, um, you know, brand new building. Um, I watched you on social media, like uh, putting in uh, uh, kitchen um, equipment and then you know having to pick out chairs and tables and stuff like that um, you know and um, you know having to and I also kind of watched you um, you know c come to those places where you know you're just tired you've got so much on your plate like what was some of the most difficult parts of uh, you know opening this restaurant I would say all the choosing and picking of colors and chairs, that was the fun part. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, I, I designed the space. I worked with the architects. I secured seed capital um, to make that possible. And what, what has been hardest is proving, proving your concept and proving your capabilities as a Native woman entrepreneur over and over and over. And um, that, that was really hard and kind of meeting the demands of every at every phase, meeting those roadblocks and just having to prove prove it over and over, that was really testing, um, you know, and then working with architects. Uh, but I, I did work, I had an architect intern from Zia Pueblo that I worked with who was really great. So she was a woman from Zia Pueblo, and that made it all manageable because it, for a minute I was just in this construction zone with architects and construction crews and, um, service providers and and just being an indigenous woman entrepreneur it was a little like um, it's a little tough to to get that to get my concept across and get my vision across to people who don't see that within me um, so that was testing um, but we made it through that and now it's a whole new a whole new battle um, or a whole new journey I wouldn't say a battle because it shouldn't be hard um, Right. And now I'm into getting into management, training, food ordering, um, collaboration. And yeah, so it's just a whole new a whole new phase I'm in. And I'm not dwelling too much on all that I had to go through at that point because I, I really can't. But um, I'm happy to be here now and just ready for what lies ahead. And um, I think... I think the universe is providing and I'm just showing up, you know, my, my location I just want to mention is on Eagle street, Eagle way and turquoise street. And coincidentally, those are my, that is my clan and my Moiti turquoise and Eagle clan. So it's, there's a lot happening that we don't see and play. Um, so, you know, I just can't get held up on too many obstacles because it's so much bigger than obstacles and bigger than me, this movement that I feel is happening right now. Awesome. Oh, that's so great. Uh, <laughs> uh, we had a caller um, chime in just a bit, but they wanted to know um, maybe some of those uh, details about um, where can where we can find more information on Itality. Where can we find like the hours and address and stuff like that? Okay. 
so currently my website is under construction. Mm -hmm. It's being updated, um, but we are located across the Indian Pueblo Cultural Center at 2500 12th Street Northwest, Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I'm in Unit E, Suite 2. And you can find information right now currently on social media. I have Instagram, Facebook, and that's where my updates will be posted. I'm currently in opening hours, which are 11 to 4 p.m., mm -hmm. Wednesday through Sunday. And, um, yes, come in anytime during those hours. Um, I'd be happy to share my food with you, share my medicine. All right. And uh, real quick before we let you go here, what does itality mean? Itality stems from a Rasta word that is ital. And ital means natural, unprocessed food, free from animal products. So to me, that's how I came into this plant-based way of life, through ital. And I wanted to show reverence. To that so this is vitality and it's it's not a new movement it's not a fad it's it's uh it's something that's been around for years and years so um, plant foods are not new to indigenous people and i just wanted to um, give reverence to that as well all right all right well thank you tina for joining us i know you have to get back to your uh your conference there with native women lead um but uh, again thank you so much for joining us that was tina archuleta the founder and owner of itality plant-based foods here in albuquerque a brand new restaurant down where all the um indian public cultural center you know complex is uh this is the menu on native america calling we're all about uh food and food sovereignty so if you want to chime into this conversation we're at 1-800-996-2848 Halloween cries out for scary stories and there are many traditional and modern native narratives that deliver We'll hear some favorite stories for the season and check in with folks whose experiences will give you the goosebumps. Tune in for a special Halloween edition of Native America Calling. This Native American Heritage Month, remember one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. This is the menu on Native America Calling, our regular feature on Native food. I'm Andy Murphy. You can join us as well. Are there any new Native restaurants or programs happening in your Native community that you're excited about? Give us a call at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Joining us right now from Pawnee, Oklahoma, is Moni Horse Chief. She is a Native entrepreneur and the owner of Horse Chief Catering and an eight-time National Indian Taco Champion. She's enrolled Pawnee and Cherokee. Welcome to the menu, Moni. 
Hi, this is Moni Horsechief, and thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to join you. Yeah. So eight times. Um, is this the same recipe? Can you tell me about this year's winning Indian Indian taco? Sure. Thank you. Um, no, my, my goal is to, because <laughs> I've uh, entered this contest of um, 10 times. Um, I started back in 2008, um, and the I, my goal is to uh, add at least one ingredient or a couple of ingredients every year, and those with those ingredients being uh, for my garden um, and also uh, cultural indigenous uh, foods, integrating those in um, because I want to get back to our original uh, foods. So yeah, cool. So you're a gardener. Um, what what are some of the ingredients that uh, topped your Indian taco this year? Well, this year we um, I went a uh, Practically everything just about uh, called uh, indigenous on there, uh, starting with the uh, uh, fry bread. We ha integrated the uh, Pawnee white corn flour, um, and I'm just going to go this by layer by layer. Um, mm -hmm. And then the uh, beans, we use the uh, painted like a horse beans, which they don't have, they don't cause gas. <laughs> nice. Those come from my garden, and then uh, integrated uh, bison meat, um, uh, beef, and I went blank here just a second. I was owing some of my uh, own uh, sausage uh, that I uh, season with out of my herbs, out of my own garden, whether it's sage, uh, the peppers, um, and then I did a, uh, a spring uh, lettuce mix with some of the uh, lettuces that came from uh, a variety uh, came from my garden as well. And then topping it off with the uh, salsa, um, we used. I used some chipotle peppers in there, a uh, little bit of habanero. Um, mm -hmm. Those all were dried and from my garden. And then the uh, tomatoes, of course, uh, from the garden. And um, that's it. All right. Yeah, that that sounds uh, pretty pretty tasty. Um, you know, so so the National Indian Taco Championship takes place in um, Pahuska, right? Correct. It's in Pahuska, Oklahoma, and okay. but I also wanted to let me let me go back real quick and I integrated some of our uh, okay. uh, Pawnee corn in there and uh, some Mormon squash. And so each of those components, you know, it's it, it's a filler, but it's also really healthy. Um, no GMO on these uh, products, and it's all uh, organic gardening. And so yes, and the uh, contest is always held every year the first week in October in Pahuska, Oklahoma. It's a fun event, and there is a uh, uh, some contestants that came in from, I believe, out in New Mexico, uh, Colorado, um, and Arizona are the ones that I'm familiar with that came in. But it's a lot of fun. It's a good, fun family event. Right. And um, I imagine there was cancellations during the, the you know, worst parts of the pandemic last year and maybe the year before. Uh, but what was it like to meet everybody again? And um, I saw pictures from the event and there's just like a whole street full of people and, you know, samples everywhere. I mean, what was it like for you to uh, join up with with people again and share just share all these uh, good foods with everybody again? Well, it's always fun to, like, meet other uh, natives and learn about their culture and uh, just uh, seeing them because uh, I noticed that this year there was uh, – because they didn't have it one year uh, due to COVID. So mm -hmm. um, it's always good to see uh, – meet new natives that come in there and uh, learn about what they're doing and what their ingredients are and if they're gardening, is it fresh from their garden, and 
you know, that's one thing that I that I really uh, thrive on is like the indigenous foods and getting back to uh, the way that we used to live and live off the lands and whether it's the corn, beans, and squash integrating into our our chili and uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a good uh, fellowship time and it's uh, but it can be stressful at times, you know, because you have uh, lines and lines of people. I believe there's 20 contestants in there. And so you have a long line. And so the whole time, <laughs> what's funny is that I keep my uh, uh, cooker just faced towards the back of the back of the uh, uh, the work of the space that I'm, space that I'm working in. Mm-hmm. That way, I don't have to tur- ever have to turn around and see the uh, long line because you know I had a line that went uh, all the way across the street and probably really about 75 to 100 people in line, and they were waiting <laughs> in line for you know an hour. And because uh, I don't. I like to. Uh, I'm training my daughter, but I also want to be able to uh, give them my own product, and uh, you know, not somebody else. And that's the Frybread because it's all about the uh, Frybread at this contest. Mm, mm. Yeah, so I've made a, uh, just a couple of million uh, Frybreads in the last couple of years. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, this sounds like the the event to go to. Like, um, you know, if you if you want a taste of uh, definitely that uh, Indian taco, um, it's cool that there are folks from uh, down here in the Southwest that go there. Um, Wow, sounds like a really, really cool event. Um, but I'd like to go back to the Pawnee corn or Pawnee eagle corn that you mentioned. I've seen it before. I've seen pictures of it, and it's like each white kernel has like a little black shape on it, and sometimes it literally looks like a little eagle on these kernels of corn. Um, tell me a little bit more about, uh, uh, you know, sharing these kinds of um, uh, really local traditional ingredients. I mean, are are you part of a like a gardening group or something like that? Yeah, thank you for asking. Um, I do. I uh, work with the uh, Pawnee Seed Preservation Society, yeah. and the uh, and it's a uh, led up by uh, Deb Hawk. And one of the things that uh, she has done, and she's uh, brought us in as team members, is uh, growing and learning more about gardening, about living off the land. And so, what we do is. Uh, uh, I found uh, different growers, or whether it's tribal members, or developed other partnerships to have people grow uh, the corn for us, whether it's the eagle corn or uh, Pawnee blue corn, which is really high in protein, uh, whether it's our white sweet corn. And it's a matter of uh, we're um, into about our third year of like uh, seed collecting and building up our seed bank. And so the uh, um, blue corn, like I said, it's uh, really high in protein. It's, we've had it uh, genetically tested. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of different areas that you can make foods into that and promote gardening. And, again, just getting back to uh, and growing, like, whether it's our Pawnee squash or Rickerall squash or tobacco, uh, peppers, promoting that and uh, doing what growing the growers. Growing the native growers is what I like to call the concept. Mm -hmm. And that's encouraging other natives to know about their seeds and know about their foods within their own tribe, Um, medicinal plants, you know, that way – with the opiate, uh, say opiate uh, problem that we're having right now, it's mm-hmm. better to uh, look to medicinal plants uh, for healing rather than Western medicine. And so that's one thing that uh, we promote. Uh, we pro- promote uh, uh, seed, seed keeping, seed collecting, and building up your own private seed bank with uh, native growers. And um, getting back to it all goes back to getting that, getting back to our original way of life which is living off the land 
Right. You know, the women, they were, they were the gardeners. Um, the men went out and did the hunting. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and then the preparation of all that, of the food, and teaching that to our youth and to our family and let them carry that on to the next generation, generation. Um, because ideally that's a, the goal is to uh, teach others about living off the land um, and the generations to come for sustainable living. Right. Because right. we, yeah. And, and using that as a gardening, as a concept of a, I like to call it therapeutic gardening. <laughs> um, because that's, you know, there's a, there's a uh, healthy, uh, uh, bacteria that's in the uh, soil that's good for depression and so if you remember that and so make sure to get your feet keep your feet get at least get your feet in the dirt every day um and that's back to uh, mother earth who look into that to uh healing whether it's through trauma grief um because i stepped into it uh healing of, of grief after i lost my husband five years ago okay all right, cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. Um, so definitely, there's a lot behind um, Moni Horse Chief's uh, Indian Taco here. Um, so, so Moni, uh, I'm pretty sure everybody kind of, I'm, I'm sure everybody wants to know, like, what's one tip um, you'd give for folks for making a good Indian taco? Take your time be balanced whenever you're cooking you know whether it's the using your time and energy and and putting it into your food and that's with love positive energy and preparation take your time be soft and gentle just like we do with our children you know and then letting that those energies go out into the food that you're serving and that goes down to the public and just as because like as native um i know our pawnee people food's an important staple in our uh within our tribe and we use that as a, a uh, I guess, an icebreaker to uh, food to sit across the table and, you know, because, you know, it's uh, for communication. So just take your time, use positive energy, love, and you should have success. All right. All right, that's uh, Moni Horse Chief, uh, eight-time national Indian taco champion. Um, I'd just like to uh, give a shout-out to some of the other folks who uh, were recognized at this year's uh, championship. Uh, People's Choice, Hungry Soul Cafe. Third place, uh, Next Generation. And then second place, Meat Pie maker um there are there's a link to uh the national indian taco championship facebook page on our website if you want to know more about that or um keep track of when the next one's happening uh so right now i would like to uh have another guest join us um joining us from belize in central america via zoom is julio saki he's the owner and founder of che Mayan chocolate. He's Mayan. Welcome to Native America Calling, Julio. Do we have Julio here? 
All right. Well, um, we're going to get working on that there. Um, let's, uh, well, uh, this is the this is the menu on Native America Calling. It's our regular feature. We talk about uh, food and food sovereignty, what's new and newsy in the world of indigenous food. Um, and if you want to join our conversation, we're at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. You can call in and tell us about any new restaurants or uh, native food uh, programming going on in your area. So um, let's actually go to our other guest. We have from Washington, D.C., A.C. Agoyo. He's the co-founder and editor of Indians with a Z.com. He's Okeawenge, Kochiri, and Kiwa. Welcome to the menu, A.C. Thank you so much for having me on the menu, Andy. Happy to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So, um, you know, in the in the native food scene, there's been a little bit of a controversy. Um, you wrote an article about Elizabeth Hoover, and she is um, an expert on native food sovereignty. Um, I've been following her work for a long time. She literally helped write a book called uh, uh, Indigenous Food Sovereignty in America. Um, and I think that was maybe a, a book of the month here at uh, Native America Calling, too. Um, so she's been all over the place. She's this recognized uh, scholar of uh, Native food sovereignty, well-regarded in Native food circles. Um, so so the thing is her identity. Can you just uh, uh, go over that piece with us, uh, the, the one you wrote for Indians.com about her, her heritage, native heritage? Well, actually, I think it was more than about her native heritage. Mm. What we are finding about Elizabeth Hoover is that she had claimed for decades to be Mohawk and to be Mi'kmaq. And when someone in the native food sovereignty movement, someone we hear that word sovereignty, you know, we're supposed to be recognizing tribal sovereignty. We're supposed to be honoring tribal sovereignty. We're supposed to be living up to that. So when someone in that field has no connection to the nations that they're claiming, that seems like it's the opposite of sovereignty. You know, after these decades, Elizabeth Hoover finally decided that she was going to look into her own background, and she's found out that there are no ties to the Mohawk Nation, of which there are, you know, more than one. And she has no ties to the Mi'kmaq Nation, of which, again, there are more than one in Canada. So it, it's it's not just about whether it's her heritage. It's about whether she actually has a connection to these sovereign nations and to these sovereign peoples that she has been claiming to be from for so long. And as we found out in her statement, which she posted online on a website that she created, is that she has no connection to either of those nations. And the, the, the claims that she'd been making helped make her career, you know. As, as you were mentioning, she has been considered an expert. She has been quoted in the media. You know, she has been writing books. She has been hired at different colleges and universities. She's been receiving financial opportunities, meaning money. And it's all based on her claim that she is a native food expert. And it turns out that she was wrong about that. She admitted that in her statement. And she says she has no connection to, uh, to any of the, of the Mohawk nations in the U.S. or Canada, or to any of the Mi'kmaq nations in the U.S. or Canada. 
Right, right. And um, I know there are a lot of people sharing this article and, and uh, you know, it's... Um, goes into this whole, I don't know if we want to call it a movement or, um, you know, this um, reckoning that some folks are having with themselves and their own identity, you know, this whole pretendian, uh, outing pretendian sort of movement that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, so so this adds to that uh, whole movement there. Um, do you see it as a movement, AC? Like, and we're just we're going to go to a break in just a bit. But can you um, start uh, maybe answering that question? Is this a whole movement to uh, bring out pretendians? I think it's getting a lot of attention now. But mm -hmm. if you talk to our elders, if you talk to our activists who have been doing this work for decades, they've been dealing with this for hundreds and hundreds of years. The original pretendians were the people who played Indian at the Boston Tea Party. Then we had a pretendian who was heralded as the, you know, the creator of the R word mascot. So this is something that's been going back for hundreds and hundreds of years. And the reason why we have to keep talking about it is that people, meaning outsiders, don't listen to us. All right. All right, we have uh, AC Agoyo right now. He's um, a co-founder, editor of Indians with a Z .com. We'll continue our conversation here on the menu on Native America Calling. We'll be right back. Did you know more than 51,000 Native and Indigenous people are living with epilepsy in the United States? Epilepsy is a neurological disorder that causes recurring, sudden, unprovoked surges of abnormal electrical activity in the brain. Call 1-800-332-1000 to get information and resources. Help someone you know by learning seizure first aid at epilepsy.com slash first aid. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. You are listening to Native America Calling. This is The Menu, our regular show on all things new and newsy in the world of Native food. I'm Andy Murphy. Uh, I'd like to get back to our guest we have on, uh, but I wanted to let you know you can join us too. Are there any Native foods or culinary projects going on in your area that you're excited about? You can join us. Tell us about it by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Uh, so let's go back to AC Agoyo from Indians.com. We are talking about uh, Elizabeth Hoover, uh, a scholar, an expert on indigenous food sovereignty. She helped write the book about indigenous food sovereignty, but turns out she doesn't have uh, native um, connections. She doesn't have connections to the tribes that she had claimed uh, you know, for, for a long time, which is Mohawk and Micmac. So, uh, AC, you know, by, by all accounts, this is someone who embraced what she thought was her native identity and she built her career out of it. Um, you know, is there anything positive that, uh, came out of her contributions? I mean, can, d does she still have a place in this whole indigenous food movement? What do you think? Well, I think she's already answering that question for herself. You know, she removed herself from the board of Native American Food Sovereignty Alliance. She resigned from that board. She also removed herself from the board of an organization called Natives, which is 
run by probably the most celebrated native chef in the United States, Sean Sherman. She took herself from off of that board as well after having been on there for several years. So I think she's answering that question for herself. She knows that the decades that she spent claiming something that isn't true is not only harmful to her credibility, it's harming other Native organizations and Native people. So if, you know, if someone had uh, looked at these organizations' work, of course they're doing great things. But she understands that if she continues to be on their boards or to work with them, that possibly their credibility and their work could be undermined. So I think she's answering that for herself, you know, uh, whether or not she continues to uh, publish books and publish papers. She's, she, that's her, obviously her decision. She has a forthcoming book. It's going to be published by a university press, no less. You would think that a university press would want to be interested in publishing credible works and publishing works from credible people. And do they consider her to be credible now that she has admitted that it took her decades to figure out that she was wrong about her background? So I'm curious about whether she will end up publishing that book. It's been forthcoming for a few years now, and I'm curious whether she's going to continue publishing. And if she does, people are going to look at those papers. They're also going to look at her past papers and see what she's writing about and whether she can be accurately quoted, positioned, or looked to as an expert on Native food sovereignty. And, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, she was quoted in a public radio story about a Navajo seed keeper. And now that public radio station, which is KSUT for Corners Public Radio in Colorado, has added a note to the story saying, well, this could be an issue. So it's not really just her looking at her background. It's all these other outside entities, the media, colleges, universities. They're also going to have to examine their relationships with people like this. Right, right. And, um, you know, do you think this is maybe a different situation compared to a lot of other people who have been labeled uh, pretendians? You know, there's a lot of people um, who have been called out for not having um, actual factual, you know, ties to native uh, communities or tribes. Uh, But then they, they... you know, maybe just stand firm and they don't release a statement, they don't take any um, uh, uh, interviews, they don't address this whole issue of their identity, they just, you know, maybe drop it or they just say, nope, I, I am, I'm Native, and they just stick with it. Um, but but it seems like she had really wholeheartedly believed um, she was from these Native communities. I mean, and then she comes out with this statement saying, I'm sorry, or I don't know if she said she was sorry, but in that, in her art, in her statement, but she wrote a whole thing about it. You know, is this different, uh, different than, than other people who have been called out? I think she was forced to come out because people have been talking about this for quite some time. And if she had continued to make those claims, it would have undermined a lot of work that real Native people are doing. And, you know, if you if you saw the latest story about Elizabeth Hoover, you know, there are not just organizations that are she's no longer involved with. There are researchers that she's no longer involved with. So I think it's more than just, you know, her firm belief in something that she grew up believing. You know, now that she, I mean, she's a, an adult, she has a master's, she has a Ph.D., she's an educator, she's a scholar, whatever background you want to call that. It's really 
her responsibility to have said this. And it's yes, of course, it's good that she said it, but she was kind of forced to come out and say that. And were there not for this other pressure that's come from other Native people asking her to clarify, I don't think she would have come out and said it. Because like you're saying, there are countless other people who refuse to talk about it. You know, they won't come on Native shows. They won't do your show. They won't respond to Native media. They don't want to talk about it because they know we're going to ask, well, where are you from? And we're going to ask, well, who are your people? And are you involved? Are you connected in, in any way? And the answer for these people is usually no. It's all an invention. It's all a lie. It's all fraudulent. All right. All right. Thank you for that. And um, uh, disclaimer, we, I did reach out to Elizabeth Hoover to join our show today, and I haven't heard back from her uh, just yet. So um, I've also had her on an episode of my podcast, which is a Toasted Sister uh, podcast, uh, which is all about Native food. And um, she was on a previous episode way, way in the beginning, um, I think like episode seven or something like that. But maybe I have to add a disclaimer to that uh, episode as well. Um, so thank you so much, uh, AC, for joining us. I know this is, um, you know, a, a, a tough topic to talk about, identity, and uh, we'll probably get into it uh, more in future episodes of uh, Native America Calling. So stay tuned for that. Um, future episodes are listed on our website, NativeAmericaCalling.com. So uh, let's see if we have uh, Julio with us. Julio is the founder and owner of Cha'il Mayan Chocolate. Uh, Julio, are you there? Good morning. Good morning. I am here. All right. Cool. Thank you for joining us. You're all the way in Belize in Central America, joining us on Zoom. And, um, you know, right now we're all about, you know, uh, Halloween and there's going to be trick or treating. There's going to be tons of chocolate uh, going around all over these uh, streets pretty soon. Um, You know, but I wanted everybody to just learn a little bit about the uh, indigenous origins of chocolate. Um, Can you get into that? Uh, those indigenous origins, the history of chocolate. Well, uh, good morning, Andy. Thank you for having me here. Certainly um, willing to share a little bit of what we know about chocolate. And of course, as you may and they were probably would know by now, that chocolate starts with the indigenous Maya around this area. And I am one of the Mopan Maya, and there are several other Mayas in the region here. And I can name a few we have in Belize, which is the Mopan Maya, which is who I am. They have the Yucateca Maya, they have the Kachi Mayas, and there are other different ethnic groups in Belize, in Guatemala, in Mexico, that we all connect together as Maya people. However, chocolate as it's known worldwide, is something that they look at as a treat. They look at as a gift. They look at as something that you can give your friend when you're having a fight with, or you can give someone when you you meet that someone special because chocolate is very special. Mm-hmm. However, for us, the indigenous people, especially the Maya people, chocolate is not just chocolate. You know, chocolate is a gift from the heavens, from the gods above. And this is why we label it, and some people would know it as food of the gods, because it's a gift from us. We found it here 
and it started all with the Maya people. So chocolate really started with the Maya people. And when the conquerors came to this region, the invaders, they literally took hold of this chocolate and enjoyed it. So what they've done is that they took this chocolate and gave it back to their masters, back into their countries, like in Spain, in England, all of these places. So when they enjoyed it, they came back for more. And then they do not only, um, you know, um, came back for more, but they also brought slaves with them. And, and, and then they do also use the Maya people as slaves. However, these slaves are mostly from Africa. And when these slaves went back and enjoyed this bean, this cacao, this sacred cacao, they took back some beans with them and they planted it in Africa. So today, Africa is one of the world's leader in producing um, cacao beans. The Maya people never look at cacao beans as a as as a way of making money because cacao is money itself. You know, um, the Maya people they trade with it, they buy with it, they barter with it, and that is still happening up until today. However, when these traders came in, I mean, these invaders come in, sorry, they came in and they brought the monetary paper money with them and that completely subsided the value of cacao bean and today us the Maya people are trading with paper money that has totally killed the value the the, the meaning behind um cacao beans but cacao is not for us today it's not just cacao it has its spiritual meaning we use it in ceremonies we had ceremonial meaning for us it has its ritual meaning and also have its um traditional healing purposes because cacao is medicinal right right so um you know when we talk about when, when you're talking about um using it as a medicine and um uh, you know, all the different ways, uh, you know, you could have it. I, I saw you yesterday, uh, you were eating like um, some, some cacao beans, uh, when I was talking to you on the, the WhatsApp. Um, you know, so so there are a little bit different ways of, of consuming chocolate, not just in a Hershey's bar or a candy bar or something like that. So what what's the difference between, um, you know, what we see now in a in a candy bar in a in a you know Hershey's Kisses or something like that and how it's, it has been traditionally consumed and prepared sure um, chocolate for us um, is never sweetened we always consume chocolate in the local community unsweetened sugar that is added into chocolate is not Maya it's not originally for the Maya people that was brought in by the Spaniards and because the Spaniards brought it in to the lives of the Maya people, we started using it. However, we did not know, or even until today, some of us know, but we still don't really pay much mind to it, that sugar causes a lot of illness. It causes pain. Mm. But for us in the Maya community, we have never used um, sugar into chocolate. We've always had chocolate. So what you saw me eating yesterday it's just um some pure roasted cacao bean and i'm eating it as is because it controls the level of diabetes in your body it controls the level of sugar in your body you don't have to have diabetes but it, it controls the level of sugar in your body and those um beans that i'm eating also helps me to, to to inject um 
this good cholesterol that eats the bad cholesterol in your body. It has a lot of health benefits. And this is the reason why I was eating yesterday. But traditionally, no sugar is added into our um into our drink that we eat or into our chocolate that we eat. It's simply roasted on fire. Once it's roasted on the clay griddle, we take out the shells and then we eat the bean as is, or we can grind it and have it as a, as a drink. But no, no, you don't have to have sugar. Hershey's bar are filled, um, not only Hershey's, but other chocolate commercial bars are filled with a lot of fillers, like, you know, like paraffin, like um, these lexatin and all other things that they add, coloring, flavorant, which is not really totally chocolate, but having chocolate natural, green, I mean, like dark and bitter, that's what you call real chocolate. So that's how I, how we, the Maya people here, enjoy our chocolate and, and we can have that anytime of the day morning noon night anytime it's just so great to have it okay okay so it's totally not like you know willy wonka's chocolate factory where there's like fountains of chocolate everywhere or you know candy bars coming off the tree like it's a totally different thing and i can imagine it's a uh tastes totally uh different um you know from from candy bars that we're going to be having for uh halloween and everything today or this this weekend um so you know we're gonna we're gonna start wrapping up the show in just a bit but uh julio I wanted to ask you about uh, your favorite way to uh, enjoy chocolate. Wow. <laughs> you, you, you touched my, my, my soft points there. Really. <laughs> I, I do enjoy chocolate that is naturally roasted over fire because that, that, that smoke gives it its added flavor. And once that fire is finished roasting the cacao, um, we do take it over the grinding stone, the traditional grinding stone, and we grind it manually. And when we're grinding it manually, that natural oil that is known as cocoa butter. All right. I've, I've seen that uh, process before. Um, I visited Julio up in uh, Taos once before. Uh, there was a, a native food summit happening um, and uh, I saw him grinding this and it did. It turned into like a paste. I saw all those oils coming out, um, got a got a sample of it and was actually uh, pretty good. I enjoyed those bitter notes there. Um, that was uh, Julio Saki. We uh, ran out of time with him via Zoom, but um, uh, if you want to know more about uh, Cha'il Mayan Chocolate, it is on our Facebook page. Um, he, he's a, he is a very good speaker about all things chocolate and Mayan culture and food. So I'd like to say thank you to all of our other guests as well. We had Moni Horse Chief and Tina Archuleta, and then we had um, AC Agoyo. Join us next week for another lineup of discussion Discussions about indigenous issues and chocolate or indi indigenous issues and topics. <laughs> our executive producer is Art Hughes. Sean Spruce is the host. Sol Traverso is a producer. Marino Spencer is the engineer. Uh, show Mick Pollan is the digital producer. Nola Daves Moses is the distribution director. Bob Peterson is the network manager for Need a Voice One. Clifton Chadwick is our national underwriting sales director. And Tony Gonzalez is the anchor of National Native News. Charles Saylor is our Chief Operations Officer. The President and CEO of Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation is Jacqueline Salee. I'm producer and host Andy Murphy. We'll, ha we'll see you next time. 
Support for the menu comes from Spirit Mountain Roasting Company, a small batch specialty coffee roaster located on the Fort Yuma Quetzon Reservation. Information and online ordering at spiritmountainroasting.com news. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Hey, hey, this Kakunula is a domestic violence called Hot Now, a listener there. Ongo Chua don't aina like a bit specially Roman periods, Elena, Easton, Yamton, Agua Mosawa Shua, to let it up on this one eight hundred three one eight two five nine six and pen and agan to the Easton www.healthcare.gov slash SCP hyphen LIST slash hashtag domestic abuse. Quilawanua. Look to your centers for Medicare and Medicaid services. Don't not pen and to look Elakwa. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanek Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.